Hello, and welcome to our third segment of Word of Mouth. I'm your host today, Michael Horn, and I'm with a lovely guest that we have, Amy Keating. Amy Keating is a good friend of mine who identifies herself as a French educator. And so she has worked overseas a couple times teaching throughout the cities in France and doing great work there. And so she's traveled a lot, has a great appreciation for French culture and the beauty of the language. I'm honored to be with her this morning. Amy, how are you doing? I'm great, Michael. It's awesome to be here. Good. Thank you so much for being here. We'll just get our segment started today with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for this day. We thank you for the gift of Amy and her life and her mission and her ministry as an evangelist and all that she does. Just bless us as we journey with you today. Bless all the people of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Help us to continue to grow in knowledge and love of your will. Help us to know what is good and to do it with all our heart. We just entrust all of our efforts to the Blessed Mother Mary, who is the star of the new evangelization. We ask her intercession as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Again, Amy, thank you so much for being with us today. And as we prepare to just learn about you and your story, just the first thing that we have as a question for you is, what has your faith journey been like so far? And can you explain one vivid encounter that you have had with Jesus Christ? Sure. So I grew up in a loosely Catholic household. I was baptized and I went to what most people will probably recognize as CCD or PSR, parish school of religion didn't go to private school, but it wasn't really a lived faith. It was something that I was expected to learn about. I went to PSR, and then it wasn't really talked about or driven home among my family members. So with that, I also, during my faith life, I've struggled pretty significantly with depression and anxiety from a young age. And so one really vivid memory that I have of something that would actually be very indicative of my journey in the Catholic faith was that I remember I was about nine years old and um, I was having trouble sleeping. I was very anxious, very, very upset for some reason or another. And my mother, who was very concerned, said, well, you have a rosary here that you don't ever really pray. So why don't you try just quietly praying that? And hopefully that'll help you fall asleep. And to this day, that is the most soothing way I know to fall asleep. I actually turn on the audio for praying the rosary at Lourdes Grotto in France. So anyways, loosely Catholic. And then I was 16. And after making some detours through Buddhism and Protestantism, I went on Project Life in 2008 and that was the game changer (laughs) so tell us a little bit about project life i've heard a lot about it i've been there once i've been on one project life myself but it's a certainly something that a lot of parishes love and they Mm -hmm. they talk to me about it a lot so let's hear your story about it yeah so that year when i went i was actually kind of tricked into going my sister presented it to me as hey do you and your friends want to go do a bunch of service in an area that really needs it And if she had presented it for what it actually was, which was, hey, do you want to go get slammed in the face with a bunch of Catholic stuff? (laughs) I'm not sure I would have gone. But it was my first genuine encounter with beauty on a lot of levels. There was the beauty of the, the very old, very small church in Old Mines, Missouri, that really spoke to me, praying the liturgy of the hours, the honesty, 
and the kindness and confession. And also that was my first encounter with a seminarian when Rob Ryan was a seminarian. Sure. He was in my group. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so anything else about Project Life that really struck you? I know a lot of the teens from St. Catherine where I do a lot of youth ministry love Project Life. Yeah. Anything else that struck you? The Liturgy of the Hours you mentioned, the Beauty mm-hmm. of the Mass, any any particular games or was, was there any <laughs> of the... Uh, craziness on the the wars i remember the the paint wars and stuff (laughs) did did you all do that no that that had not developed yet (laughs) i think probably one of the things that sticks out most as being very fruitful was that there wasn't housing right in the area where most of our prayer and food and everything was and so all of the women had to go to this i don't know what you would call it like a bunker or something (laughs) it was just this huge room where all of the women were and so to have that opportunity to just be women and like not pillow fights exactly like you see in the movies but to just like talk about everything it was it was pretty great (laughs) awesome awesome and project life is a great opportunity for a lot of teens a lot of adults just to to serve the community people that are going through various trials in life and it's just great to offer a, a helping hand to them in project life so well, Amy, okay, so after Project Life and you had this kind of encounter with beauty and, and a new experience of Jesus, what, what happened next? What was going on in your life after that point? So after that point, it took me a little while for the fruits of that retreat, the, that service to really take root. But boy, did they. I ended up deciding about a year later before I started my senior year of high school to go through RCIA in order to get confirmed. I had actually never been confirmed because at the time when most people do that, I wasn't convinced of the Catholic faith and didn't want to be disrespectful to people who do believe it and were getting confirmed. So yeah, I went through RCIA and it was pretty beautiful. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And then so after, eventually, as you kind of journeyed through your faith and, and had different experiences and such, you wound up in France. Can you talk a little bit about France and the impact of France on your life? For sure. So I have at this point been to France four times. And the most recent time that I was there, I actually had the opportunity to spend five weeks volunteering in Lisieux, which is where St. Therese of the Child Jesus is from. And that, again, was a game changer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really showed me a level of intimacy with saints that I hadn't really known was possible before. It's beautiful. And also, I believe that you have developed some sort of devotion to St. Kateri Tekawitha as well. Can you yes. talk a little bit about that? For sure. So mm-hmm. that was actually the name that I took at confirmation, primarily because she was the first Native American to be sainted and uh, or to be recognized as a saint. And she had a deep, deep love for nature. And nature is one of the primary ways that I experience God's presence. And what was so crazy was that for a long time, I had been feeling some distance with St. Kateri. And then I remember one day I walked into the Basilica of St. Therese and just kind of turned to my left. And there was this beautiful image of St. Kateri. And I don't know how to explain it other than just divine intervention, but it just immediately became clear to me like, oh, Therese and Kateri have been my sisters together. They have been looking out for me. They have been praying for me even when I haven't known it. And it was one of those realizations that I I couldn't stop tears. I couldn't stop smiling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's beautiful. So a perfect encounter with the saints and just developing Mm -hmm. a relationship with the saints who constantly are watching over us and guarding us, looking out for us. It's awesome. So it's a good just kind of summary of your faith journey up to this point and everything. And now we're just going to ask you about 
your mission? What do you think your mission is in the various types of work that you've done, whether it's been ministry to the youth or uh, serving as a teacher in France or just other jobs that you've had in your life? What, what do you think your mission is? I definitely see my mission as being primarily summarized in just the word listening. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that there are so many people, especially in our day and age, who do not feel heard. Mm-hmm. And that makes a huge difference in and just their sense of well-being and our ability to connect as humans, just talking at each other all the time. So definitely listening and then learning people's stories. It's interesting, but it also is the gateway to being able to have a profound impact on the people around you, for sure. You can't help people or serve people or love people as well if you don't know them. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then also just building relationships and seeing what God is revealing through them. I can't tell you how many friends I have in my life who are not Catholic, not practicing Christians, many of them self-avowed atheists that have been profound sources of spiritual growth for me. Mm -hmm. And that is because every human being has the imprint of God on them. Sure. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. And so, yeah, you just talked about the importance earlier just of spiritual friendship. So developing Mm -hmm. devotions for the saints and, and making sure that Maybe you practice a devotion to our Blessed Mother, like the Rosary, and just not not that that's going to heal all of your problems, but just engaging in a good prayer life and, and developing and building that trust and that relationship with the saints, with our Lord, and just kind of asking his guidance in the struggle. So that's that's beautiful as well. Yeah. And so as you mentioned your mission here and, and listening and learning from people and listening to their stories and building these relationships of trust and growing, what are the main challenges and blessings of your mission, would you say? Well, the first thing that definitely comes to mind is people just not recognizing that they have unfulfilled spiritual needs. We definitely live in a society, I think, that sends the message that certain things can fulfill us and can lead to self-betterment, mm-hmm. and it's just not true, or it's true only to a certain point. And so I definitely think that when people believe that they're being filled as much as they need without knowing any better, it makes it really hard to engage with them on topics of anything spiritual. Absolutely. Amen to that. Yeah. A lot of people that I know, and through my own experience too, we just have kind of encountered a lot of the college culture. We see college mm-hmm. students on different campuses and they're constantly on their headphones or on their phone mm-hmm. and, and there's, they're listening to music and, and there's so many distractions. And like you said, they're, they're you can see that they're starving, that they're missing something on, mm-hmm. in their, on their face. And it's, it can be sad at times to just witness that. But just it's just an encouragement for us to just take a step back and to think, how are we using technology? How are mm-hmm. we using social media? How are we using those things that have been developed for the, the betterment of our communication and such, but sometimes just distract us too much and give us that false sense of being filled when we're really not? Right. So, yeah. Okay, so that's certainly a challenge for your mission and for our lives in general. And what would you say is, or what are the couple blessings from your ministry, would you say? Well, primarily, I would say this very, not like, you know, humbling in like a humble bragging sort of way, but like a very legitimately humbling realization that you have something to contribute to the church Mm -hmm. and that the church benefits from what you do, even if it is just the tiniest, tiniest thing. And then also just confronting human weakness with Christ's presence. I don't necessarily get the opportunity to use Christ's name with some of the people that I'm closest with, but because of the sacraments, because of my prayer life, because of my being steeped in scripture, there is a certain element of presenting Christ to people just by being with them. And realizing that is a wonderful blessing. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then as we wrap up this first part, just... 
How would you define the term evangelization in your own words? My definition of evangelization would definitely be offering people an encounter with Christ. Now, that kind of acknowledges the reality that you're not guaranteed that people will respond to that in an affirmative way. But I think that's the whole point. I mean, Christ himself didn't force himself on people. Mm -hmm. He offered himself and then respected whatever decision was made. Sure. The beauty of just an invitation. Mm -hmm. And again, I used a a buzzword that very popular in in the Catholic circles today is just the idea of an encounter. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it becomes trite, but it's it's (laughs) just so true, the the need for an encounter with Christ and and just the beauty of understanding that our faith is rooted in a person, that it's not— that, that we can concretely experience the Lord, whether it's in the sacraments or through our prayer and the devotional life of the church, that we're a very incarnational church. So we very. see, Yeah, so we see God, we see our Lord in, in various outlets, so whether it is the sacraments or another person, or it is the mm-hmm. beauty of nature, like you mentioned. So, And then you mentioned earlier, too, the beauty of human relationships and just how that leads you to an encounter of Christ. Definitely. So that's a great, great definition of evangelization, just offering people that encounter, extending the invitation. So that's beautiful. And so, Amy, from your story today, I think I'm just going to highlight for our catechetical segment the beauty of the Church's teaching on the communion of saints. And so you mentioned your devotion to Therese and and Kateri, and I'm just going to talk a little bit about what the Catechism has to offer for us in the communion of saints, also Lumen Gentium and a couple passages from Scripture as well. So we'll start with Catechism, uh, paragraph 947. It reads, Since all the faithful form one body— The good of each is communicated to the others. We must therefore believe that there exists a communion of goods in the church. But the most important member is Christ, since he is the head. Therefore, the riches of Christ are communicated to all the members through the sacraments. So we start with this idea just that all the good actions and the merits of the saint and of every Christian believer, they are able to be offered for other people as well, so that, that we're all connected. And Paul writes that we're one body, one body of Christ. And so Christ is our head, but we all form his members. And so all the good that we do for one another can can impact everyone else as well, and we benefit from the prayers, the merits, the good actions of the saints. Then from the, the next paragraph right after that, the term communion of saints has two closely linked meanings. First, communion in holy things, and secondly, communion among holy persons. So again, it's about relationships and about about good actions and good deeds and good merits and prayers and offerings. And then paragraph 950, all the sacraments are sacred links uniting the faithful with one another and binding them to Jesus Christ and above all, baptism, the gate by which we enter into the church. The communion of saints must be understood as the communion of the sacraments. The name communion can be applied to all of them, for they unite us to God. But this name is better suited to the Eucharist than to any other, because it is primarily the Eucharist that brings this communion about. And so when we reflect on paragraph 950, we can think about all the the intercession of saints that that are invoked during the Mass. And so we ask for the, the prayers of the martyrs, we ask for the prayers of the saints, the prayers of Mary, of Blessed Joseph, the spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so that they're all praying for us, they're interceding for us, the angels are present. So we have this communion of persons and this communion of goods in the sacraments that unite us and draw us closer to God. A great passage from Scripture on the communion of saints is 1 Corinthians 12, 26. In that letter, Paul writes, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 
Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Again, just showing the connectedness of all our actions and prayers. And then from Lumen Gentium 49, has two great little quotes for us today. So it is that the union of the wayfarers, that's us, with the brethren who sleep in the peace of Christ is in no way interrupted, but on the contrary, according to the constant faith of the church, this union is reinforced by an exchange of spiritual goods. And so these spiritual goods are, again, the blessings and the merits and the graces that we receive from those who are pleading to Christ on our behalf in heaven. It continues, Being more closely united to Christ, those who dwell in heaven, the saints, fix the whole church more firmly in holiness. They do not cease to intercede with the Father for us, and they add the merits which they acquired on earth through Jesus Christ. We have two little quotes from saints that we know and love, St. Dominic and St. Therese. St. Dominic said to his brothers on his deathbed, he said, Do not weep, for I shall be more useful to you after my death, and I shall help you then more effectively than during my life. And similarly, St. Therese said, I want to spend my heaven in doing good on earth. So these great holy people, while they were still on earth, they realized that when they were glorified in heaven and that they entered into the beatific vision with the Lord and seeing him face to face, that they could still benefit the people who are living on earth, the church militant. So we'll close with two more paragraphs from the Catechism, 958 and 962. But first, 958. Communion with the dead. This is also mentioned in 2 Maccabees 12 and also Lumen Gentium 50. In full consciousness of this communion of the whole mystical body of Jesus Christ, the church and its pilgrim members from the very earliest days of the Christian religion has honored with great respect the memory of the dead. And because it is a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the dead that they may be loosed from their sins, the church offers her sufferings for them. And our prayer for them, for these people, is capable not only of helping them, but also of making their intercession for us effective. So our prayers for the dead can give us great fruit in our own lives. And finally, from the apostolic letter of Paul VI, the, from the Credo of the People of God in paragraph 30 and also quoted in the Catechism 962, we believe in the communion of all the faithful of Christ, those who are pilgrims on earth, the dead who are being purified, and the blessed in heaven. So that's the church militant, the church suffering, and also the church triumphant in heaven, all together forming one church. And we believe that in this communion, the merciful love of God and his saints is always attentive to our prayers. So that's our catechesis for today, just thinking about the beauty of the saints and developing devotions to the saints, asking them to look out for us, asking them to plead for us to God, asking them to just share their goods and their charity with us as we journey on earth to the kingdom. So as we wrap up today, we'll just close with our final little segment, and Amy's just going to offer us some parting thoughts and some final words of advice as we continue our day-to-day mission of evangelization. So Amy, any practical tips, any final points that you have for us? For sure. I can't encourage everyone enough to seek out the sacraments. We were talking about encounter with Christ, and I think it sounds trite, as you mentioned, when we forget that it's encountering a person. It's not encountering an idea. And so the best way to be made aware of that is through adoration, through mass, through frequent confession, especially through spiritual direction. I would say that's a wonderful way to be directed towards the sacraments. And it also 
just offers you the opportunity to be more open to how Christ wants the saints to serve you in your own life and how you can pray for the church. Mm -hmm. Christ loves to send his saints to us to help us and to encourage us, and the sacraments will help us be aware of that. Absolutely. What else? What else can we take away? So the sacraments and journeying with that encounter with Christ, anything else that we can do? Just be willing to be vulnerable, to share your daily witness. If the opportunity arises, don't necessarily try to artificially produce that, but to just be ready for it. Always be ready to give testimony to the hope that is yours. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Yeah, First Peter 3.15, that's a great passage for us to to reflect on. And Amy mentioned earlier just the beauty of listening attentively to the needs of others and of yourself and your own spiritual needs. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to offer this with Amy just to close us today, just the great tip of remembering to share the beauty of the Catholic faith with others. We have a 2,000-year tradition and legacy, and it's just there's so many elements of our faith that are so beautiful, whether it's the liturgy or religious art, the sacraments, churches, pieces of architecture, anything that, that really just speaks to the glory of God and lifts our gaze and our hearts to the Lord. Just don't forget to share the beauty of the Catholic faith. So Amy, anything else that you have today? With what you were just saying, I'd like to add that, like I said, I have a lot of friends who are not practicing Catholics by any stretch of the imagination, and it might be slightly uncomfortable, but I have never regretted inviting anyone to join me at adoration, to join me at mass, to just go check out a church that I think is really pretty. Sure. Because for a lot of people, they've never encountered anything that is transcendental that way. Mm-hmm. And if they say no, you move on and you go do something else. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, good. Thank you so much for being with us. Again, this is our guest, Amy Keating, and this is Word of Mouth. This is our third segment, and I am your host, Michael Horn. It was great to be with you. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. God bless.